Area 941 podcast are produced and distributed by Community Powered 94.1 KPFA Radio. Please help support Area 941 at kpfa.org. This is the Bay Area Theater Podcast. I'm Richard Walensky. While we're in the coronavirus lockdown, I'll be presenting weekly interviews with playwrights that I've conducted over the past several years, either when they've come through with a new play or when they've written a novel. This interview with John Leguizamo was recorded at Berkeley Rep on July 7, 2016. Latin History for Morons opened to rave reviews at Berkeley Rep and later went on to Broadway, opening November 15, 2017, for a limited run of 104 performances at Studio 54. A film version of the show can now be found on Netflix, where it debuted in 2018. My guest is John Leguizamo, whose latest one-man show, Latin History for Morons, is now running at Berkeley Rep. Growing up in Jackson Heights, New York, John Leguizamo got his start as a stand-up comedian in 1984. His earliest credit was in the TV show Miami Vice in 1988, followed by small film roles. His first major role was in the big-budget Super Mario Brothers film opposite Bob Hoskins. Though a critical and commercial flop, it led to a variety of interesting roles, most notably the Baz Luhrmann films Romeo and Juliet as Tabalt and Moulin Rouge as Toulouse-Lautrec. He was also the drag queen Chi-Chi in To Wang Fu, Thanks for Everything, Julie Newmar. He was Vinny in Spike Lee's masterpiece, Summer of Sam. And he's the voice of Sid in the Ice Age animated films. John Leguizamo has also been a regular on several television shows, including ER, The Kill Point, and most recently the Netflix series Bloodline. His one-man shows have won great acclaim, and several of them have been filmed for HBO, including Freak, directed by Spike Lee, and more recently, Ghetto Clown. He's also won several awards for those shows in New York. His memoir, Pimps, Hoes, Playa Hatas, and All the Rest of My Hollywood Friends, My Life, was published in 2008. Latin History for Morons was developed in 2014 at Berkeley Rep's Ground Floor Summer Residency Lab and made its debut at the La Jolla Playhouse in San Diego, directed by Berkeley Rep's Tony Ticconi, who also directs it at Berkeley Rep. Well, I miscorrectly pronounce it Leguizamo. It's really Leguizamo, but nobody could ever say that. They don't understand where the U came from, so I started doing it phonetically, Leguizamo. Because I saw someone mispronounce it at Berkeley Rep. Oh, yeah, they always yeah, mispronounce yeah, it. Yeah, I get it's it. a very mispronounceable name, and I'm okay with it. Let's talk a little about Latin history for morons. I understand from some of the publicity, it was originally Latin history for dummies. Yeah, at the beginning, and then the, the dummies company called my lawyer and told me to cease and desist using the, the, the dummies, and I was like, okay, fine. And I, I think morons is even more interesting and funnier anyway. I think it becomes more aggressive. It means more of a lesson. So you started working on this a couple of years ago. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what prompted you to start it? There was a few factors. One was my kids, you know, my son and and my daughter, you know, wanting to make sure that, that I had precise information about our history and our culture. And, and I wasn't giving them misinformation because I gave my son misinformation. He was very upset about 
my knowledge of Native Americans. What was the misinformation? Oh, I, it, it was Colombian Indians, and I was talking about, I called them Chipchas, and Chipcha is the language and the people of the Muisca. So my son was very upset, and he was corrected by his teacher, and he came, he said, Dad, you're giving me wrong information. I look like a fool up there. And, and so I started studying a lot harder, and then I started doing all this research, and it was very, I went through a lot of different complex emotions when I started doing the research. First empowered, then I started getting angry. You know, the, the fact that Latin people have participated in every single war this country has ever had with the highest decorated minority in every single war, and we get no credit or love anywhere, anytime. And uh, that, that was kind of upsetting. You said that was one of the things. Another was the fact that a lot of kids drop out of yeah, high school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 36% of we're the highest minority that also drops out of high school, you know. And I think part of it is attributable to the lack of, of cultural role models that exist and are there. And it doesn't have to become a multicultural thing. You just, just lay the facts out. I mean, 20,000 Latin people that, that sacrificed their lives for the Civil War alone. I mean, you can't find a few heroes there, give me a break. So you do the research for your kids. At what point do you realize, well, there's something here to work with? Early on, man, it was it was right away. I mean, it started, first of all, I mean, I was doing all the Aztec and, and Inca studies, uh, well, my research to try to figure out w what happened in those battles, how did we lose, you know, how did, uh, you know, because cultures were de decimated, you know? Right. So that, that started. And then when I started doing my research in, in, in the United States, I was like, wait a minute. Almost 20,000 land people participated in the American Revolution, in the War of 1812, French and American Indian War, we were there, the Civil War, and I'm like, wait a minute. I mean, these are really important contributions to the founding of democracy in this country, and we were the founding fathers, and we get no credit. And that's that, I feel, is purposeful and hurtful and damaging. At that point, you had all this information, and you're still thinking in the back of your mind, maybe there's a comedy routine, a show? <laughs> you know, it, 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 when it goes through my filter, it always has to be funny. You know, it just that that's the way I, that my personality operates in my, in, in my skill set. Right. So I started doing it in comedy clubs, which I felt, which, which I've never done before, but it was the hardest place to take this subject matter to because they're very resistant to, to sort of, being educated. <laughs> so that was fascinating, man. And, and at first they were very resistant and they were kind of upset. Uh, my first place was Buffalo, New York, which is very blue collar. So that was an interesting place for me to start a whole thing on, uh, on history. And people came up to me and they were like, I thought you were gonna talk about something funny. This is like a history lesson. And then the teachers, the few teachers that were in the audience like, I really enjoyed it. I'm a history teacher. I'm like, oh, my God. Those are the, those are the wrong people I want to be, be reaching, you know. Right. But somewhere in the middle. I think the balance was somewhere in the middle. And I started rewriting it quickly and realizing that I have to temper it with analogous material. So take the history and find something analogous in my life. And that's how the, how the show was built. And this was uh, this is your sixth show, uh, your yes. sixth one-man show. Mm. So at that point, you began writing it out as a script. I always write as a script. Oh, Every, really? er, everything is always a script. And then I go to improv, back to script, improv. Then it goes. Then the, then the process is back and forth. Then I do a lot of Q and A's. Always have done Q and A's, and I did my all my Q and A's at um at La Jolla Playhouse. And at what point did you contact Tony Tacconi at Berkeley Rep? Early on, man. Early on, I I came here to the Berkeley Lab. 
Writer's Lab with it right. two years ago, and I just barely had the ideas of of what I wanted to do, and I wasn't sure it was going to work. You know, I'd never done anything like it before. And I was with all these playwrights and Tony, and everybody was so incredibly nurturing to me, man. You know, they were really made me believe that I could do it. And I started writing it there. And then I asked Tony right then and there to, to be the director because I, I knew I needed somebody with really strong dramaturgic skills and the understanding of the, of the one-man show and, and, and plays, you know, just really understood a play so we could make it, you know, functional. And, and, and he's, he's been perfect, man. He's been great. So on the earlier shows, you also had directors to work with? Always, always. Always, always, always. always. Yeah, you can't, you can't do these kind of shows by yourself, man. Not not these personal journeys. You need an objective eye to help you filter through it because there's a lot of things that I think are boring and there are things that I think are exciting that may be boring. <laughs> you know, that, and, and, and I need somebody to bounce it off of to, to test it out on. John Leguizamo, there's an interview with you and Tony in the Berkeley Rep magazine where you talk a little bit about how at one point you tried to remove the personal stuff and that didn't work and you needed them both and the balance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is there any kind of internal mechanism that says, okay, this is where I put in something serious, this is where the comedy comes in, anything like that? I mean, to make sure it's not joke straight, joke straight. I've never liked that kind of comedy, man. My comedy's always been sort of uh, more real life than, than it is just a, a stand-up, you know. It's always been a play with with a lot of humor. It's just it's whatever my personality is, you know. That and uh, and I never shied away from dark issues or or really traumatic experiences. I mean, right now they're saying that you know TV's pushing all these these envelopes, but plays were always doing that, you know. And and my comedy was always dealing with really dark, harsh issues, painful things, and. And still making people laugh, you know that that that's my my work's always been that. Yeah, you know it, it's a conversation with the audience, and 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 I see they want to go to darker places too with me, you know, which is fascinating. They want to go to the darker stuff, to the meatier stuff, and then they love being made to laugh too, you know. They want they want both, and the comedy clubs not so much, you know. That's why I had to leave at, at a certain point because they 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 only let me go to a certain place. They're there to laugh and they're there to yeah. drink. They drink, laugh, and eat, you know, and right. uh, and 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 being educated, they they were okay with uh, to a certain level, but they're not going to let me be quiet. They're not going to let me be vulnerable, you know. At least I don't feel comfortable there, you know. I've always done it. I've always been in performance art spaces and theaters where that's what people expect and want, and it makes me live up to something. Going to IMDb, you have a huge list of films. I've seen a whole bunch of them. I yeah. remember Spawn in particular. <laughs> <laughs> I love Spawn, man. <laughs> Todd McFarlane, he's the king. You know, Spawn in the early 90s was, comic book industry was in big trouble. Right. And he single-handedly turned around the comic book industry, made it darker, violent, uh, vulgar, and and he was the first black superhero. I mean, Todd McFarlane, it should be attributed to who brought back the whole comic book industry. Well, that was a very, very dark role that you played, the clown. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, and and, and when we shot it, it was a much more R because the comic book is right. R. And then, you know, New Line made it very PG-13, which was, you know, was a little sad factor for me because I, I really liked the vulgarity that, that Todd McFarlane put to it. And we brought that to it as well, but they had to take it out. Uh, when you're comparing the acting of being on stage as yourself yeah. 
uh, compared to all of these roles that you do, is it easier or harder to play yourself in a sense? No, it's much harder to, to play yourself. You know, it's it's not as easy because who who are you? You know, what I mean, how do you how do you you know? Some comedians work their whole life to create a persona, which is some kind of amalgamation of themselves in, in a heightened reality. And uh, I was always an actor, so I, I was becoming characters. So that to learn how to become myself took me a, took me a long time to just because I didn't know who I was. You know, I just it's just, just me. You know. I looked and you have 10 projects in various stages. How do you yeah. keep yourself focused? Yeah, on IMDb, summer post-production. How do you keep yourself focused on this particular <laughs> show when you've got a, a million other things going at once? Oh, they all get put on pause. I mean, most I mean, most of them I can't I can't really do all those things. I mean, right. this is so all-consuming and I can't do anything else but this. But then there comes a point in the run where I need to do other things. You know what I mean? There comes a point where I just need to. I need my. It's like a like a mental break. Not 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 a break like a, a nervous breakdown, but you know, a, 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 a recreation. So my mind starts to recreate, and and that's when I go to the other projects. When you're doing that, you're not writing. You're just performing. It's sort of a day job ish. I mean, the the TV shows and all that. You know, they usually let me write. I usually get to oh, rewrite really? my lines a lot, and they know what they they're getting when they hire me. That I'm gonna. That I'm gonna get involved. <laughs> you know, what I mean, <laughs> I'm just gonna get involved in my character arc and my character creation, and I'm gonna get involved in the character bible, and I'm gonna get create, uh, get involved in the writing. You know, and not as much as uh, obviously in my one man right. shows where I'm creating the whole thing by myself. There, I'm just tweaking dialogue. You know, which is a lot of fun and a lot easier. But it is. You're right. It's 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 more of a day job. But I I, I throw myself in 300 percent in everything I do. So it's never like a really a day job. You know, I'm I'm very method. So I'm the character 24-7 and you know I can't I, I can't I can only really do one thing at a time well when you're working on something like the Ice Age things yeah. I mean how does that work are you getting a script rewriting it um, I mean obviously there's no cartooning at that point I mean when you're right, going right, in right. there uh, are you working off other people by yourself how does that work no you're, you're all by yourself which at first was really daunting man I was like what where's the cartoon I thought I was going to be you know right. where, who, who am I reading with oh the producer, oh, the director, and that, and that was kind of tough. But then I started to realize, wait a minute, this this plays into my OCD so beautifully because I can do a line a million different ways, man. And that that became really liberating, you know, that 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 part of it. When you see yourself on screen, uh, you're going, damn, I did this other line better. <laughs> yeah, there there are times, there are times when I do go, oh, I I did a better take than they picked. Yeah, yeah, no, that happens. It happens lots. It happens in, in movies. I go, oh wow, and the way scenes get edited and cut, you right. you don't have control, and you and you go, oh, you know, I know the scene was a lot better. I wish I'd been there at the editing room to convince them otherwise, but I wasn't. Do you have control over the HBO specials? Yeah, I do. I do. So that that I do, and I, and and it's and, and it's it's interesting because I get to be involved in the process. I love editing, and uh, you know, with Spike Lee was the first time I was I was asked to be part of the editing for Freak and that w opened up my whole entire world because I was really able to help select what we had to cut because it was a little long you know we, we came up with this way of speeding it up and everything I mean there was all these fascinating things that these tricks that, that I was able to help and they were able to teach me as well have you thought about doing directing yourself then yeah I have directed I did a HBO movie called Undefeated it was really 
hard. <laughs> I was like, I had a whole new respect with directors. I, it really changed my attitude towards directors with a lot more respect. I was like, wow, this is a hard-ass job, if not the hardest job. Did you also edit, work on the editing, stand next to the editor? Yeah, yeah. I work with this great Peter Frank, this great editor who did um, uh, uh, the Paul Newman movie where he was a drunk. Uh, remember, he's a lawyer drunk. Oh, uh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What is, uh, uh, the Verdict? Yes, The Verdict. Peter Frank did The Verdict. He did this movie that I did that I love called Empire. And uh, so I got to work side by side with him, and that was re really exciting. Are they trying to typecast you at all, or just because they when, know who? When, which thing? Uh, any of these roles, or do they just kind of go, well, we want John Leguizamo, we'll get John Leguizamo? You know, it's, it's a complicated thing because, you know, the way they cast Latin people, it's still kind of a little bit on the, uh, a little bit on, uh, on the stereotype, you know, it's still, right. it's still, you know, Latin people are not being cast just as who they are, you know, it's still kind of like servicing uh, storytelling and servicing their uh, Hollywood's idea of Latin people. So that's still going on. I mean, not as much. I mean, there's still a lot of uh, right. things are changed, like Jane the Virgin, uh, America Ferrara, and that and that and that TV show. Those are those are things that are really changing and becoming different. And and in Bloodline, you have a lot of Latin people playing detectives, uh, r uh, people running for office. You have a lot of Latin people in positive roles, so that 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 it, things are changing. And I guess at some point you transcend it because you become your own person, which I guess is the goal. I mean, they they go, we want a John Leguizamo, right? Well, we want a younger John Leguizamo. <laughs> <laughs> we want we want so I like John Leguizamo, but younger. Yeah, yeah, that happens. Over the, over the years, uh, looking at your film and TV career, what? Can you think of one or two roles and work that you did that stands out specifically in your mind? Yeah, as being, of course. Of yeah. course. Uh, to me, Summer of Sam is Spike Lee's best work in his career. Yeah. And, and, and it was the most fun I've, I've had on film. It was, it was so much fun working with Spike. Mira and Adrian Brody was at the top of his game. It was, it was just, we went to Cannes. It was the first time I was in Cannes Film Festival. Right. And experience that with Spike. It was just it was just phenomenal, man. It was a phenomenal experience. Uh, apparently, you're also doing a Spanish-language TV show that was on IMDb. Has that started yet? Uh, I can have get the name of it. Maybe it doesn't exist. No, no, I, I turned it down. But I did a Spanish-language movie just now that uh, is opening up in the Colombian Film Festival. It was a really gritty prison drama that, that was, it was brutal to make, man. I suffered. <laughs> I had a, I had a, advocate for myself and, and save myself because just, you know, when you when you film in, in third world countries, I mean, there's just not the protections you have in America, you know, you just don't. And you're putting your life at risk. And I had to, like, take myself out of things and go, I'm not doing that. Like this fight I had with the, the, the prison guard, I was like, where's the stunt person? I'm not doing a fight. I'm just not with, without a stunt coordinator. And, and I want some padding and I want this and that. Oh, okay, we'll get that for you. But they didn't think of it. If I hadn't advocated for myself and then the, somebody got hurt anyway, the guy I was fighting tripped and he bashed his head. <laughs> and the poor guy, you know, he cracked his head open. He's 75 and I felt like really horrible about the whole thing anyway, you know. Was just, so there, there was a lot of moments like that, you know, where I, I was like, you know, my, my safety, my health is not really taken into consideration. Uh, is there a difference for you in playing in a uh, comedy versus playing in a drama? It's kind of similar. I mean, you want to 
create a real character wherever you go. Right. But comedy is a little, a little less forgiving. You know, you 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 got to hit a comic rhythm. You know what I mean? You got to come up with some kind of rhythm. And 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 the and the drama is just you got to be as as instinctual as, as you can be. You know, Marlon Brando in in Streetcar and Desire, the, the most beautiful performance ever done on film, and it's you got language and you still got incredible instincts you know set free are you one of those people that is best on a first take or a 20th take it depends it depends you know like if it's something really emotional i'm usually better early on if it's a vulnerable thing if it's an angry thing i get better as 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 the more takes go on if it's comedy i think in the somewhere in the middle cuz after a while it gets stale you know comedy then how do, how do you stay fresh for a show like uh, Latin History for Morons? Oh, that's easy, man. That's easy because it's only once a day. So the once a day thing is like, um, it's like sex. You can go once a day. <laughs> Every day is fresh. If you go too many times in a row, it's not so fresh anymore. <laughs> well, when you're, when you're doing this, you have a script. You give yourself permission to go off script? Here? Yeah. Oh, I, I do, I do. But um, it has its consequences. Because sometimes I can't remember where I'm supposed to go next, or uh, but I do, I do, I still. I mean, I'm. I feel like I'm still in the early stages of my play. So I mean, starting tonight, I'm going to start implementing new changes too. And really, from from opening night. Yeah. Really. Oh yeah, I always have. I've always done that. After opening night, I feel freer because now I don't have to live up to anybody's expectations or whatever. Now I have the freedom to really do what I want to do. So tonight I start with some new cuts and then tweaking certain um, emotional things and certain themes, and then I'll start experimenting with a lot. You know, I'll experiment with different sections each night, trying uh, areas that I feel aren't as as powerful as they could be or as funny as they could be. And does that? That's what I love about theater, man. It's like it's like it's like yeah, it's like like living art form. You know, it's like that's the most that's the beauty of theater, man. Especially for me, that I can fix it every single night. Like in a take in a movie, every take you can fix, but when you're done, you're done. That's it. You can't revisit. I mean, when you're talking to the audience and somebody responds, you're yeah. more willing to respond back. Oh, yeah. It's so much fun. That's what I, I learned in the stand-up clubs. It was like, it made me much more responsive because they, they, they're so drunk, they don't give a f- And so that has to make, makes me not give a f- either because I have to like meet them at where they're at, you know? John Leguizamo... You said before we went on the air that you're, uh, you love Twitter, but I mentioned to you that the problem with that is that you get trolls. How do you deal with that in social media? You said you love social media. I do love social media, and, I, and I'm coming to love. Twitter, I found, is, is right my, is my pocket, and, and maybe Snapchat. Instagram, I like. I don't, I, don't, I don't love. I'm not really a visual artist. I'm much more of a verbal artist, right. so Twitter is more, for me, you know, like a, a soundbite. And I get my news on Twitter. Trolls, you know, at the beginning, I, I, I was I wasn't so savvy about the trolls. I mean, I suspected, and then I it, it was it was really easy. I think it was either about gun control or immigration, and they said some really hostile to me. And so I I went to their to their site, and they're like they had two followers. <laughs> so I realized, oh, you just somebody just made that right, right. now just to attack me. It's a bull Twitter uh, account. And then I, I did it again to another one. Oh, you got four followers. So it's like you just made this to attack me and you're not really a real human being. I mean, so I, I started to understand, oh, just don't answer that because they're, they're just trolling 
and, and trying to say negative things and they're either made by corporations or made by uh, political groups. You just have to ignore, I, I ignore it now. How do you deal with celebrity? I mean, walking on the street and people know who you are. Can you handle that pretty well at this point? Yeah, you know, you you come to a place, you know, I I think it happens for every celebrity. At the beginning, it's it's so energizing that people are recognizing and accepting you. Then it becomes a problem <laughs> because you can't go anywhere, and then and you just can't you don't have any freedom. And then and then you come around to and go, oh, you start to appreciate it. You know, theater really made me appreciate my fans because you know they're paying two hundred bucks a ticket. They're coming to see me. They're spending money that they don't have. You know, two. They got to buy two tickets. That's four hundred bucks. That they got to get a babysitter. They can't afford. They go to dinner. They got to dress up. And they come in to spend that money on me. I owe them something. And that's yeah. when I started to feel like the the fan, and and, and my my respect for fans. Uh, they, that's when it came to me because it, what movies, it's so abstract and you don't really know. It, it's a very different thing. But theater made me go, oh man, these people really making a big sacrifice to see me, I owe them something. Yeah, well, I, I kind of feel the same way. When I'm talking to you here, there are three of us here. There's a photographer and just yeah. you and me. It goes out, but I'm not necessarily listening. But right. if I'm doing an interview in front of an audience, right. that's a completely different world. Different. You, you feel a responsibility. It's kind of like it's kind of like the same thing as social media. People can feel anonymously empowered to say all kinds of heinous things right. that they would never say to you in your face because they would have a lot more respect for you. From here, what are you going to be doing? Where are you going to be taking Latin history for morons he- from here? Are you going to New York eventually? Yeah, yeah. We go. Uh, we open up at the Public Theater, yeah. March. Uh, Oscar Eustace, uh, one of the greatest dramaturges that has ever existed, is is already working with us. But Tony and him are, are, are really tight and work really beautifully together. You know, Oscar Eustace at the Public just did, you know, Hamilton, A Fun Home, Eclipsed, the David Byrne, uh, Imelda Marcos story. And he's got some other amazing pieces. So I feel really honored to be asked to be part of the public. And eventually HBO, perhaps. Yeah, eventually, eventually documenting it, yeah. Uh, I'd have to ask my son's permission and my wife's at some point. You've been listening to a July 2016 interview with John Leguizamo recorded in the offices of Berkeley Rap. And a film version of Latin History for Morons can now be seen on Netflix. I'm Richard Walensky, and see you next Sunday for another edition of the Bay Area Theater Podcast.